0: BLOB TALK RADIO Listening to the June twelfth, two 2015 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard. We discuss here news, politics, and sometimes culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism is the philosophy that uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm Amy Peekoff, your host, and I have a couple of the uh, familiar faces hanging out here in the chat room. I'd like to welcome you all over here at Blog Talk Radio, Freedom Breeze. I see just Jean, Rob Abiera. Thank you for sending all the links throughout the week. Selfishness and a couple people hanging here on the line. If you want to join in in on tonight's discussion, which is about so-called free trade and so-called freedom of expression that we have here in 2015, do join in. The phone number to call is 760-888 five eight one seven again that's seven six zero eight 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 five eight one seven. Uh justine says hi everyone so she was the first one to break the ice over here in the chat room. Um, if you do call in make sure that you hit the one button if you actually want to uh, ask a question or make a comment or, or something like that. Um, when we get into the free speech section we're going to talk a little bit about the continuing saga of the suppression of freedom of expression in this country by jihadists. So, of course, that's been the ongoing story ever since Garland. But this week, the kind of suppression and the rejection of the principle of freedom of expression has kind of come up on a different angle. And it was raised by a Seinfeld interview. Seinfeld was commenting the other day that he cannot go to college campuses anymore that he doesn't perform on college campuses in effect because political correctness is making it so that the students don't appreciate don't get his jokes um that basically the the climate of political correctness on campus has become so stifling that you can't even have humor the way it once was anymore. So that's the angle we're gonna take there. If you have any stories of your own about political correctness on campus and the way that it has been stifling thought or stifling the enjoyment of life on campus, you know, the, the ability to think critically and the ability to actually enjoy a traditional college education, go ahead and give me a call about that. I definitely want to hear your story, but let's try to get a handle first on the so-called free trade agreement and the latest developments in the story. If you've been watching kind of the blow-by-blow, you will have seen that the House went ahead and rejected Obama's trade measure. And the thing, you know, first of all, as far as I understand, the House voted on two different things. One was this so-called trade promotion authority, the TPA, by itself. And I think they passed that. But then there was the trade promotion authority coupled with a bill that was going to continue to uh, assist workers, as they call it, displaced by global trade. And this, of course, is on the idea that If you do open up free trade, it's bad for workers, right? This is the old myth that free trade is bad, right? Because somebody might actually offer the same thing at a lower price. And wouldn't that be horrible? Now, you know, if you've taken economics 101, I guess not at a public university anymore, but, you know, if you've taken it at a university that actually tells you the truth about economics, then you know that if a country happens to offer the same thing that people in your country offer at a lower price, it would actually be to your benefit to get that product at the lower price and then divert some of the resources that you were using to create that product and put them someplace else, right? That's what you do in a free market. You adjust, you say, okay, where can I get this? human need or human desire fulfilled the most cheaply? And let's go ahead and fulfill it that way. And then if I have resources that used to be devoted to fulfilling that need, why don't I take those and divert those and use them in some other productive endeavor? And there are plenty of possible and productive endeavors to which Americans can apply themselves here in the United States. But Again, the old myth is, is that these displaced workers, they need a government handout of some kind. And so apparently what they had tried to bundle in the house together and what failed is bundling this trade promotion authority with the assistance to the displaced workers. Now, I think it is believed that if they didn't pass those two things bundled together, then they aren't going to be able to get the trade promotion authority passed through the Senate. And that's why there's the doom and gloom language in the New York Times where they're saying that it is quite likely that Obama's chance to, quote, secure a legacy-defining accord spanning the Pacific Ocean, that that dramatic thing is perhaps now out of Obama's Reach uh, Paul Ryan, of course, vows that it's not over yet and so that they're going to continue to try to get this for him. And if you have been looking around on Facebook today, or maybe I just happen to have the right friends on Facebook, but one of my friends on Facebook has shared a link to an interview from The Right Scoop. It's actually, it's not from The Right The interview is not done by The Right Scoop, but The Right Scoop has picked up the clip of the interview. Um, The interview is done um, with Jeff Cooner and Ted Cruz answered some very pointed questions about the trade promotion authority and the TPP agreements and actually came out in favor of passing the trade promotion authority. So it might be the case that because Ted Cruz And maybe then some other senators are going to get behind the trade promotion authority that they might be able to pass that, uh, you know, in a freestanding bill and it might still actually come to pass. Um, But let's talk about what this is and what this isn't, because there's definitely some confusion out there based on the reporting and there was a Breitbart story earlier today, which I happily shared to make fun of Paul Ryan I'm not a big fan of Paul Ryan anymore because he renounced Ayn Rand. He had once said that he was uh, very much influenced by Ayn Rand and believed in her ideas and etc And then at some point when the pressure was on the heat was on he went ahead and renounced her and you know forsook her but now um, the story was is that he was pulling the same thing that Nancy Pelosi was pulling with Obamacare, saying that you have to pass legislation to find out what was in it. And that is not exactly technically true. The legislation that they're trying to pass, this trade promotion authority, you can read it. The problem is, is that the trade promotion authority is going to fast track legislation that you cannot yet read or, you know, uh, trade agreements that you cannot yet read. It's going to fast track approval of those. And those trade agreements are either not yet even available for the Congress to read, or they can be read like in the case of the TPP, the Trans Pacific uh, Agreement, that can be read by Congress in this special room and they're not allowed to take notes and the blah, 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 blah. They are allowed to read that but it's not yet made public. And this is the thing that is concerning to a lot of people right now, even though apparently it's not that far out of the ordinary. So what exactly is going on here? So again, the TPA, the Trade Promotion Authority legislation, you can read. Um, And in fact, let me kind of give you the place where I found it. It's at finance.senate.gov. Um, there's actually a, you know, you know how they do. They try to actually in their language because it's a government website promote what's going on here, make it sound really good. Um, but it's Hatch, Wyden, and Ryan introduced trade promotion authority legislation. Um, Senate Finance Committee Chairman Orrin Hatch, Ranking Member Ron Wyden, and House Ways and Means Committee. Chairman Paul Ryan introduced bipartisan bicameral trade promotion authority legislation that establishes concrete rules for international trade negotiations etc. And let me give you the essence of it I scanned over the summary and then I tried to scan over the operative section that basically said under you know what conditions could the Congress disapprove of whatever trade agreement is brought back by the president. But let me just give you broad outline. So what this does is this gives the president the ability to negotiate trade agreements within certain parameters, right? They have to satisfy certain parameters. Any time between now and 2018, the authority can be a little bit modified, a little bit, and it could be extended, I think, up to, 2021, or maybe the ability to amend it can extend to 2021, but this is giving the president, in essence, the ability to negotiate these agreements in secret, basically, to get all the details ironed out and everything within, again, within certain parameters, and then to bring it back to Congress as an entire piece to either be voted up or down. Uh, It couldn't be amended and you couldn't do a lot of the traditional um, like filibustering and things like this to it. You would would just have to bring it in and give it an up or down vote if it meets all certain conditions. And basically there are certain conditions on the content of it. So there's certain aims that are in it and there's certain things that the president can and cannot do. So for example, it doesn't give the president the ability to increase tariffs on products. And I what I think it also uh, can't do is like it when it when it when he does decrease tariffs on certain things, there are certain limits on his ability to do that. And I forget all the math. It, they always have very complex negotiated math. And then they also say, okay, you can negotiate lower tariffs, you know, freely on other things, but, you know, there, this this uh, politician over here had, had to be bought off. So there's a certain type of product that you can't negotiate lower tariffs on. You know that kind of stuff, right? But overall, from what I read, the content of the authority that they're giving is generally meant to open up trade and reduce tariffs. Uh, There is some, you know, let's help out our partners, encourage environmental and human health. I mean, there's some garbage in it, too. Okay, right. But in general, it's giving the president authority to reduce trade barriers, to protect intellectual property, uh, etc. Now, um, these deals what it is believed is that for instance, some of the trading partners like Japan, Japan is one that I heard explicitly mentioned. um, They will not agree to this unless they will not agree to this, unless they are able to be assured that the entire agreement would either be passed as a whole or rejected as a whole, right? If they're going to really make the types of concessions that, you know, Obama or his representatives are pressing for, then they want to be assured that they're going to get everything that they were promised on the other hand, right? So this is the type of, you know, promise that they need in order to go forward. So the idea is that it is a value to give the president the ability to go and negotiate this stuff in secret and then also have the entire, you know, trade agreement, subject to an up or down vote as a whole, that that is a value to United States within certain parameters. Again, so far as it creates freer and more open trade and, you know, all the other kind of uh, caveats, right? Now that's one part of it is that, you know, they want him to be able to go do this, negotiate it in confidence. It's not public until it's a whole thing. Now then what happens is once he's got the whole agreement negotiated then he's not allowed to have it go into effect until at least 60 days after the content of this agreement is posted on a public website so all of us can read it okay so no trade agreement is going to go into effect no sp- substantive trade agreement would go into effect until at least 60 days after we're allowed to read the whole thing. And then there's further, there's all kinds of reporting requirements. I mean, there's just sections and sections of he has to do an impact report and a this and a, you know, what changes to current law would be required in order to implement this agreement. And then he's got to have, I think, within 30 days of the vote in the, you know, Congress, the up and down vote about it. Um, He's got to give them the actual final text, you know, the actual legal text, right? So it's 60 days ahead of time. The public gets to see the content. It's just the, you know, parameters of the agreement. And then in terms of legal text and all these other reporting requirements, there's different deadlines leading up to the House and the Senate actually just considering the agreement up or down vote. That's what this thing does. So um, apparently apparently there are, you know, uh, this is kind of a normal thing where the president on an individual basis would go out and negotiate these treaties, these trade agreements, and then come back with the trade agreement as a whole. And sometimes the, you know, the Congress would go ahead and give the president the ability to have this, you know, trade agreement voted up and down as a whole. So this is not that Unusual, and it could be that the reason that everybody is very upset about it is because we don't like Obama having any sort of you know individual extended trade promotion authority over what the constitution already gives him. But the people who have actually looked at the TPP agreement itself, um, plus you know when you actually look at the parameters of the trade promotion authority they say okay it's mixed maybe perhaps the content of the actual tpp the trans-pacific you know uh, agreement is mixed uh, you know probably the trade promotion authority legislation itself is mixed to some extent but overall the thrust of it is to give authority to negotiate agreements that open up trade and overall opening up trade is a good thing if you believe in free markets. so that's really the essence of what is going on and what i'm interested to hear from you is you know first of all is the story that i'm telling you a little bit different than what you've heard and if it is are you in favor of this or are you still on the idea that you would not want to give in advance this trade promotion authority that would allow and, you know, a trade agreement once it's fully negotiated to have that fast track sort of status? Because that's really what's at issue here. It's, you know, are we comfortable giving fast track status to a trade agreement given that president would have all sorts of reporting requirements in order to get that fast track status? And given that, that fast track status where you're going to just get a straight up or down vote is something that would be necessary for the negotiations even to take place in some cases. From what I understand right now, some negotiations have been halted because there's a question of whether it's even worthwhile because the agreement as a whole would not pass necessarily. It would have to be amended. So, so what do you think about that? Oh, we have audio intermittent here. Oh, this is not good. Um, is that helping at all? How is the audio right now? Oh, they're talking about doing. Uh, debates in colleges, debates on the floor of Congress. Now the audio is breaking up for everyone. I wonder if this is a blog talk thing. Yeah, they're saying it sounds like a loose jack or a connection. I'm going to try these again. Um, Why don't I turn off my mic for a second? I'm going to unplug and plug back in and see what happens. Okay, I've unplugged and I've plugged back in. And now I want to know if we're still breaking up. And if we're still breaking up, given that I've heard that Jerome Brooke has been having issues with his audio also breaking up during his show. So it sounds like someone is tapping a glass bottle. Is that really true, still true? Go ahead and give me a sign here. Yeah. I know. I know that Block Talk Radio was very buggy on on your own's most recent show. I was listening to that show and I heard a lot of it too, and I'm horrified if that's what you're hearing out of here because usually, the sound quality from here has been very good recently, uh, ever since they went to this new Direct Connect. It, it's still breaking up a bit. Ay, this is ridiculous. I'm not hearing any kind of, you know, kind of breaking up or staticky or anything on my end. I unplugged and firmly plugged back in both of the connections that I have. Um, this is really sad. I, we may indeed have to defect and go to a different service if this is the way it's going to be. I've had some other issues with customer service with Blog Talk recently as well, so it may be an ongoing issue. This is this is sad because I have I've really enjoyed being here for several years. And I was definitely into the prospect of uh, breaking up is hard to do, they say here in the in the, in the chat room. Um, so I'm wondering if you then even heard my little monologue on the trade agreement. Was it understandable? I'm hoping it was. And if it was, okay, it's better than before I plugged in. Okay, well, that's good in any event. Um, but but let me let me know what you think is what I told you. You know, what I could do as well is I could go ahead and get you a clip of Ted Cruz on this agreement. I mean, do you think it's going to uh, convince you? I'm not sure. But let me go ahead and get this clip from Ted Cruz if I can. Again, this is a talk show host named Jeff Cooner. And I guess he was just speaking to Ted Cruz this morning. And let me see if I can pull this uh, this clip up real quick. Okay, I'm sure there's going to be an ad or something. Let me see if I can get it. Okay.
1: To be made public. Okay, let me let me get to the place in the agreement.
0: It's about 16 minutes in, is when a friend of mine was saying you should look at it.
2: Senator, I have to ask you okay, just a here couple we more follow up questions. Sure. When we did our town hall together, I remember explicitly, I asked you point blank about the TPA and the TPP. You did. And you said to me, and we have the tape, that you had not read the entire text, that you had read parts of the text, not all of the text, and that you said, but not to worry, because this was just, according to you, a standard trade pact. Listen to Senator Jeff Sessions. I just, because I either, someone's not, someone's getting their information wrong. So it's either you or Senator Sessions. Here is what Senator Sessions said on the record. Quote, he's talking now about, um, uh, about the TPA. And he says, in particular, he said that this is not a trade deal. It is much more of a treaty. As he puts it, quote, having been to the closed room to review the secret text of the TPP, it is clear it more closely resembles a treaty than a trade deal. He goes on to say, quote, the implications of this new Pacific Union are extraordinary. And ought to be discussed in full, in public, before Congress even contemplates fast-tracking its creation and pre-surrendering its power to apply the constitutional two-thirds treaty vote. He then goes on to say, reviewing the secret text plus the secret guidance document that accompanies it reveals that this new transnational commission, the TPP commission chartered with a living agreement clause would have the authority to amend the agreement after its adoption to add new members and to issue regulations impacting labor, immigration, environmental and commercial policy. Senator is Senator Sessions making all of this up number 1 number 2 we just on free trade in general we're not talking about something hypothetically we've had free trade deals now for the last 25 years we've amassed 11.2 trillion dollars in trade deficits now i know texas has benefited it's true 3 million jobs the border states have done well But if you go to Ohio, if you go to Wisconsin, if you go to Illinois, if you go to Michigan, if you go to Pennsylvania, 55,000 factories have been closed. Five to six million jobs, manufacturing jobs have been lost. Our manufacturing base has been gutted. Senator, we've tried free trade and it's an absolute disaster. Why would we sign on to another mega deal? when we've had such a disaster for the last 25 years. And for God's sakes, if there is this international commission.
0: You know, I'm glad that he's confronting Cruz on this, but I hate his outdated, lame, wrong economic theory.
2: And he likes to hear himself talk, but let's hear Senator Ted Cruz uh, respond. By now voting for TPA, you can't amend it. You can't strike it down. It's now up to an up or down vote. You've put yourselves in a straitjacket. Why would you do that?
1: Well, Jeff, again, there's, there's a lot of substance there. So let me try to go one at a time through the different things you said. Uh, first of all, uh, with regard to Jeff Sessions, Jeff Sessions is a good, a good friend of mine. He and I have fought side by side on a great many issues um and and i like and respect jeff sessions very much um what he is describing there about what this will do is simply not accurate um i respect his views but it's not accurate i have read this agreement now what i told you in the town hall is this is a six seven hundred page agreement i'm a careful enough lawyer that i'm not going to represent to you that i have studied it the way one would for weeks and weeks on end, the way one would during the 60 days when it is public. Um, in a six, 700 page agreement, can there be...
0: Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I turned off the wrong thing. This is terrible. I was trying to turn off my email sounds and then I turned off uh, Cruz. Let's hope if let's hope I get him back in the same place. If I don't, this is going to... You know, I'm not going to get him back in the same place. This is very bad. Um, he goes on to say that you... He didn't study the 600, 700-page agreement. Let me see if I can get that. Problem is, if I'm going to get my sound from my
2: computer, I have to get all my sound or none of my sound. So. Okay, my friends, 935 go, here on get, the great de- labor, immigration. In-
1: the way one would during the 60 days when it, it is public. Is. Um, in a 600, 700-page agreement.
2: How would you do that? Okay.
1: One doesn't see, sure. Uh, the way one would during the 60 days.
0: Okay, so um, he's talking about this is a 600-700 page agreement, and he hasn't yet studied it in the way that you would during the 60 days while it's made completely public, that's when you'd study it. So he's referring to that time interval that the TPA would give for it to be completely public. He says during that time, you would completely study, even if it's 600-700 pages, that would be enough time to do it, and then you'd go for your up or down vote.
1: When it is public... Um, In a six, seven hundred page agreement, can there be things buried in a footnote that one doesn't see? Sure. I, I readily concede that. But it is not accurate to say this is undermining our sovereignty. And any agreement that did undermine our sovereignty, I would fight against tooth and nail. It is simply false to say this would create some transnational body that could change u.s laws now you mentioned we've had free trade agreements in the past the way free trade agreements have worked in the past is there have been tribunals so if the two countries agree we're going to lower tariffs we're going to lower tariffs on wheat we'll lower tariffs on wheat coming into our country you lower tariffs on wheat coming into your country our farmers can ship wheat back and forth to each other Past trade agreements, and the TPP is like this, include a tribunal that if one of the countries jacks up tariffs on wheat, if it violates the agreement, the other country can go to an an international arbiter and say, they're violating their agreement to lower tariffs on wheat. And the consequences, if the international tribunal says, you're right, they're not following the agreement, the consequences is, under the agreement, the other country can jack up its tariffs as well without violating the agreement. Now, regardless of what the tribunal says, if the tribunal says you can or can't jack up your tariffs, each country always retains the sovereignty to decide its own laws. The the tribunal has no authority to change anything, to change one word of any law in America. Under our Constitution, it is only the U.S. government that can do so. Now, you made a, a, a second point about free trade. And, and you know, you and, you and I perhaps may may disagree on the, on the benefits of free trade. I am very much a, a Ronald Reagan free trader that, that I believe American farmers and ranchers and manufacturers, when we open up foreign markets, we compete and do better. But let me point out, you are absolutely right when you say – that working men and women have been hammered across this country. But it hasn't been because of free
0: Yeah, then he goes on to say it's not because of free trade, it's because of Obamacare and regulations and everything else, and that's the sort of thing that he's trying to undo. So here Cruz assures us that he is so much a fighter for sovereignty that he himself actually um, stood up against Bush, George W. Bush, when Bush was president, uh, for U.S. sovereignty against something that Bush wanted and against a whole bunch of authorities around the world, and won. So he's saying, "Look, I come from this, you know, standpoint where I have credibility on the issue of U.S. sovereignty, and we are not giving up U.S. sovereignty in any of this. These are standard type of free trade agreements." My guess is that the substance of it is going to be mixed, but generally positive. And like I said, I looked at some of the, um, you know, trade objectives that are in the TPA that you can read. And it talks about the fact that the president would have authority under this TPA only to lower tariffs and on some goods, he wouldn't have the authority to lower them at all. Um, And then he wouldn't have an authority to lower them too much on certain ones. And, you know, they're kind of like this, right? But it would only be for lowering tariffs within certain constraints. It would not be for raising tariffs at all. So if you take that, you know, plus the idea that he's supposed to negotiate for better protection for intellectual property and things like this on the whole, I think the thrust of it is good. And then really the question is, do you believe in, removing this procedural safeguard in a more across the board way for some period of time, even if it's Obama who gets to do this, um, you might say, okay, let's really scour the TPA and see if the restrictions on Obama and the reporting requirements and everything are rigorous enough so that we really know what we're getting into. There are extensive, extensive reporting requirements, impact reports and what, you know, what American laws would be affected and all this kind of stuff. Um, Cruz is in favor of it. it. It seems like when you've got Cruz behind it and arguing for it so effectively and so forcefully that perhaps in the Senate, We would see, um, as again, as, as I understand what happened in the house, the thing that went down in the house is the bundling together of the TPA with these extended benefits for the, what do they call them, globally displaced workers or whatever. Essentially, a retraining welfare program for people who lose their jobs due to free trade is the way I understand it. So they tried to bundle this and then Pelosi and the Democrats said they voted it down because whatever that welfare program was that was supposed to be extended didn't go far enough, I guess in compensating for all of the evil free trade that might be accomplished under the TPA. This is how I understand what went on. So um, everyone says, so why all the secrecy? So, Again, the way I understand it is that it's very standard for these agreements to be negotiated in secret and then presented as a complete package that you have to take or leave in their total, right? I mean, you know how it is, right? Here, here's the analogy, right? Um, you go to the car dealership and suppose you're in the unenviable position of wanting to go and get a new car and negotiate on the price for that and also trade in your old car and negotiate on the price of that. And there's so many moving parts in the deal, right? You know, there's the price of the car, there's how many things they're going to throw onto the car, little goodies, or are they actually going to give you the floor mats for the car? Oh my gosh, that's an extra, you know, a couple hundred dollars. You really got to negotiate for that. Um, there's the interest rate, right? Um, there's how much you have to put down on the car. Uh, you know, given whatever your trade in, then there's the value of your trade in. And then uh, you know, are there any conditions on the trade in in some way or another? Um, do you have to pay certain transaction fees or not? I mean, there's different things, right? And so that you would know, suppose you know you've negotiated a certain price, And a certain interest rate over a period of time, and how much down payment. And then you say, Oh, okay, well, that's great because for my down payment, I'm bringing in my used car. And, you know, let's look at that. And then they say, Oh, you know, your car, we can only give you such and such because we're going to have to paint it and the blah, blah, blah. And then you say, Oh, well then, no, I'm not going to buy this other car if all you're giving me for my trade-in is this. And then you start negotiating that and they say, okay, we'll we'll give you that for your trade-in, but then we're going to change the interest rate over here, right? So if Japan is negotiating with us, they have a certain, you know, total set of they're going to give these concessions and they think they're getting these other concessions from us. And in fact, it's a whole bunch of different countries with all their moving parts, right? It's like, you know, these trades in the NBA too. And I can't even follow them, right? They'll say, okay, you know, this player from New York is going over here to LA. And then in turn, that one's going to Ohio. And then this one's going to San Antonio. And it's all part of one trade. And if any part of those agreements, Falls, then the whole thing falls, right? Because you have to have all of these people agree to move the players around in a certain way and pay certain amounts this way and that way. And you get that trade pick next year And the ball. This is the kind of stuff that they're doing. And so the idea is that they want to do all the negotiations until the whole thing is a one thing. And each country is going to demand that the entire thing gets an up or down vote. Otherwise, they won't sign on to it. And they don't even want to sit at the table. They don't want to negotiate at all because whatever is negotiated at the table could completely unravel when it goes through Congress and the Senate. So that's what I understand is the reason for all of the secrecy. (laughs) Debbie here in the chat room says that the floor mats are ridiculously expensive. I mean, they use it as a negotiation point. So I think Debbie knows what what I'm talking about here. So uh, this is why the secrecy. So it is not that they are passing any given thing without the public knowing what is in it. This is not Obamacare. Obama trade, people are going to get at least 60 days to see the contents of any given trade agreement and then go to your representative and say, oh, you've got to get rid of this stinker. It's horrible. It's going to ruin everything or whatever it is. uh, Critique the hell out of it in those 60 days before that vote happens. And so, again, it's 60 days. The contents have to be posted on a public website. And then I think it's at least 30 days. The actual legal language that would be implemented has to be given to the House and the Senate so that they can actually read what they're going to pass, right? Um, sometimes the legally implement, you know, implementing language. Um, sorry, that was a little thing. Oh, I guess I'm getting bad sounding. You know what it might be? When I'm sitting here and I'm talking and I'm getting fidgety, I think I'm fidgeting with one of the cords. So now I shall not touch a cord at all even though everything's connected well. Let's not touch it and see if that is affecting anything for you. Uh, yeah, so selfishness is, yeah, so we're trading with countries that are not free economies. Now, now this is the thing that I was tweeting about earlier. You'd think, okay, why are we even in this place where we have to negotiate all of these free trade agreements? It's because all of us have erected all of the different countries. You know, there is no actual free laissez-faire capitalism anywhere in the world and certainly not uh you know inter uh, like inter-country trade you know and international trade around the world there is no free trade um there's all of these trade barriers whether it be regulations and caps and limits and this and that you know and you heard um this talk show host, let me give him proper credit. I mean, this is great that he, you know, again, if anybody has any into Ted Cruz and thinks that Ted Cruz would actually want to be interviewed by an objectivist, I have a standing call to interview him. Jeff Cooner got to interview him and asked him the tough and pointed questions on the TPA and the TPP. So kudos to him for doing that. Um, but he has all the wrong ideas about trade. You know, this idea that somehow our government Erecting trade barriers is a benefit to us, and all it does is keep us doing inefficient things. It keeps us doing things that, you know, we should not be doing. We should instead, you've heard of the Pareto 80-20 rule, right? 80% of the value comes from doing 20% of whatever it is that you do, and then there's people who keep applying this in their lives, and then they end up doing only one thing for their entire life. Um, and they do it really well and they try to, you know, spend minimal time doing anything else except for relaxing and refueling. And what we should do as a country is we should be doing only those things that we can do efficiently and very, very well. And Cruz talked about in that interview, if you keep listening to it, um, again, this is at the right scoop.com was, is the clip where he's interviewing, um, Ted Cruz, um, he talks about the fact that we are at the beginning of a big energy boom in this country. And in fact, there are a lot of things that we can do more cheaply, not because we have cheap labor now, because we don't, you know, and and he could go more into that too. Uh, Unionized labor. I mean, gosh, people all over the country are now clamoring for an increase in the minimum wage, which can only increase labor costs. And this is why we become uncompetitive when we, lower our trade barriers, right? Because everybody else has cheaper labor than we do. But now Cruz is saying that even though we have more expensive labor, we have a chance to compete in some fields very efficiently where we couldn't before. Why? Because we have cheap energy sources in this country. So there are a lot of factors that could make us competitive. And of course, I think if you believe in free markets, like I do, you would like to get rid of all these controls on the labor market, that is making labor more expensive so that would be good as well um in any event uh call in i mean let me know have I, have I convinced you are you now at least not hostile to the tpa i mean to me i'm thinking okay if the tpa passes really i also kind of see this as a test of cruise, right um How savvy and intelligent about what is best for our country is Cruz? Cruz is making the judgment that passing this TPA is better for the country. And I'd like to see the whole thing play out, um, see what we end up getting in terms of the substance of the trade agreements, see if the TPA does actually limit the authority appropriately so that what we get is at least predominantly, you know, mostly good and um you know let's see let's see how this plays out i'm open to that right now now i think i understand that my friend on facebook ed Maslish, who um posted this i think he's still against it himself and i can understand the idea that you would say okay i don't like this idea that these the substance of the trade agreements themselves are going basically to be secret for some period of time that we're only gonna see them 60 days before and that we are going to have only an up and down vote on these. But practically speaking, like I said, these agreements are like those NBA complex trade deals. I think they keep those secret until they announce them, don't they? I don't know. I mean, I just I think none of it could take place if they, you know, kind of released little bits of it out there and then people are like, yes or no. Who would want to go to the negotiating table at all until they knew that the time spent there would be productive, that whatever was negotiated at the negotiating table, they would either get it in whole or they wouldn't be obligated to perform any of it. To me, it it does, it makes sense. I have been convinced today. So let me know what you think. I got a couple calls here. I'm gonna go ahead and take this one. Hi, you're on there.
3: Yes, hello, Amy? Yes. Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, I can hear you.
3: Um, Good, good. Uh, John Uh, Kenny here.
0: Oh, hi, John. Thanks Um, for calling in. I haven't heard you in a while.
3: Yeah, well, computer's uh, on the blink uh, right now, so I'm just uh, listening. But uh, my main concern is uh, just looking at Barack Obama, a Marxist um, community organizer. Why in the world would he be uh, in the least interested in free trade? Marxism and free trade just don't go together unless, Mm -hmm. with regard to free trade, maybe he thinks it will destroy our economy. You know, uh, I
0: just, I had that exact same thought earlier, that thought where he was thinking, okay, I am a nihilist. now. Obviously, he doesn't think that explicitly. I don't think. I think he's got that premise, but maybe there's some little goody in one of these trade agreements for him. And if oh, yeah. he and if he actually does think that free trade is going to sink the country in some way, he doesn't care. And but he's going to get some little goodies out of it. And this is the only way he can get some of the goodies that he wants by having, you know, foreign powers pack them into these trade 800.
3: agreements. Eight hundred. 800 pages but yeah uh, you know, my thing I think he's really interested in his his, uh, his main agenda is climate change which I think he knows that's a fraud but it's a, a huge amount of power uh, internationally meaning right. uh, outfits like the UN are going to start dictating economic policy for the United States he would love that secondly gun control there's there are gun control uh, provisions in this. He would love to go around the Second Amendment and say have uh, gun laws enforced by the UN. Okay,
0: okay. now now let's let's and let's be let's be no, but let's be careful here. Um, Ted Cruz says, and I believe him, that none of these agreements themselves are going to give foreign powers the ability to legislate. Okay, but what would happen is the content of any particular trade agreement could entail and probably will entail changes in U.S. law. And it could be changes in law along the lines of what you're suggesting. It could be changes in gun laws. It could be changes in environmental protection and things like this. However, all of those are need, need to be disclosed up front a certain period of time before the voting. And I think it's at least 30 days before Congress votes on it. The content of the trade agreement is made public, the actual specific changes to U.S. law have to be disclosed to Congress a certain amount of time before they take it up. But there are going to be no changes to U.S. law that are not approved by our Congress and Senate. That is not happening. That's what Cruz is assuring us. And I, and I tend to believe him. I have no reason not to believe Cruz.
3: Well, I would like to believe him too, uh, I, but I was hearing on Michael Savage on the radio today. He thinks yeah, uh, Ted Cruz, whom he liked, is a sellout. Marco Rubio is a sellout to uh, Eisner and Disney and and you know all the the uh, chief workers. So basically, you're
0: company. telling me that um, that Savage doesn't believe in intellectual property because quote being a sellout to D- Eisner and Disney means that you don't like the fact that they're pushing for the you know, either consistent or maybe even increased enforcement of intellectual property laws around the world. Well, as, as I understand it, in the Pacific region, there's a lot of problems with infringement on intellectual property rights, and it would be much better if those countries, even if it was part of a trade agreement with us, if they decided to actually enforce intellectual property rights, i.e. to give creators what they're due, right?
3: Is that, is that part of the trade deal?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, well, so part of the parameters of TPA, because TPA has this whole big preamble section where it lists the type of goals, like the type of things that the president should try to achieve through a trade agreement. And there's a whole section on intellectual property. And I know that Adam Mossoff is a big proponent of the TPA. So I assume that there are going to be increased protections. You know, liberals... And Europeans and stuff tend to be a lot better on intellectual property than, particularly, a lot of the libertarians here in the United States. They are not very yeah. pro. And it sounds like Savage, you know, he's kind of bought into the Lawrence Lessig and all those, you know, intellectual property deniers. Um, you know, yeah, well, oh, sell, puzzle, sell out to yeah. Disney, sell out to Disney, but you know, Disney, whatever you want to say about Disney and them pushing for their rights. I mean, first of all, A, I think they're entitled to it, but B, they are carrying along with them so many creators who do not have the lobby power and they are helping those creators get their rights enforced around the world as well. So there, that's, that's, a that's to the good. Um, But yeah, I, I mean, Your concerns about changes to our law, they're well-founded to this extent, and that is that there may be some changes to our law along those lines in the particular trade agreements themselves, and those trade agreements are going to be subject just to an up-or-down vote. So, you know, if if in one of the trade agreements, for example, I don't know that there is because we have not seen any particular trade agreement yet, but suppose there's, you know, they're asking for a change in gun law, right? Then there'd be no ability just to strike that. You'd either have to take the whole trade agreement or not. And I could see a lot of congressmen sort of be pressured and say, oh, God, you know, we have to give up that automatic weapon, but, you know, we'll get all this awesome free trade or we'll get this great intellectual property. And I could see some people making those kind of trade offs. And yeah, Obama, I could see him baking some anti gun, you know, pro quote environment, which is a bunch of bogus stuff into a piece of legislation, but it's not happening without Congress approval for what it's worth.
3: Okay. I I hope so. But I I just see, see, that is Obama's real agenda. You know, the degrading of the United States, I think, from a Marxist uh, perspective. Um, But uh, anyway, Michael Savage is kind of intellectually uh, chaotic, if you ever listen to him.
0: No, I mean, he's um, he's very, un, he's very uneven um, when he's yeah. right on on a topic, which actually he will actually sometimes change a little bit on a topic from show to show. Um, but when he's on and really good on a topic and he's really bringing his full passion to it, it's really fun to listen gotcha. to him. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I'll continue to listen. Thanks a lot, Amy.
0: Thanks very much. Thanks for calling in, John. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and grab another call here. Hi, who's this? Hello. Hello. It's Bosch. Oh, hi, Bosch. How is it going?
3: Good. Uh, I just want to make an announcement. Okay. I am now a black woman. Oh God. <laughs> I am now a black woman. I just to announce it on your on your show.
0: But but see, okay, you I've announced it. No, 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 no. You can't do this. You can't do this because you say... You're announcing it on my show, but I swear I saw you announce it on Twitter earlier. So this is this is like Ted Cruz announcing his presidency at Liberty <laughs> University. In fact, he had announced his candidacy for president Damn. on Twitter the night before. It's a bunch of phony garbage. So you, you did not give me, me a you, you, you me. did not give me a scoop. You did not give me a scoop.
3: Ah, I'm sorry. Okay, I'll go back to being a white guy then.
0: So you're going to have to make a, make it up to me by giving me a scoop on something at some point in the future, yeah. okay? So so well, tell well, us the, the tell that us that about your make evolution. Make no tell one. us about your evolution from white guy to black woman. How did that happen?
3: It just happened. I just decided. That's it. That's it. That's <laughs> how I see myself now. I just woke up and said, you know what? I'm a black woman. And I feel, you know, more crumpled in my own skin now. But anyway, besides that, uh, I just want to give a little update on the on the on the post Garland, uh, Pamela Geller, and AFDI and Robert Spencer. They basically um, they they launched hundreds of free speech billboards across uh, St. Louis and Kansas. And Lou Dobbs on Fox Business actually showed uh, a shot of the billboard with my Muhammad cartoon on it, which is really cool. And now I, really I saw to, I saw
0: St. Louis. I saw St. Louis, but you just said Kansas. Do you mean Arkansas?
3: Yeah. I'm, I'm, so yes, yes. I'm sorry, Arkansas. Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, St. Louis and Arkansas. You're right, right, right. Okay, I think, okay. I think someone actually said yes. Yeah, someone said Kansas, but they're wrong. You're right. I just it's stuck in my head. By the way, so, I mean, uh, I mean, it could be man. in Kansas.
0: Maybe I'm not keeping up with it, but I remember maybe, hearing Arkansas, maybe. and then I remember hearing something really fluky with Arkansas, like.
3: Someone yeah. put them
0: up in Arkansas, but they didn't have permission, or what was right.
3: that? So, and then, and then they had to cover them up. And and then, anyway, but then uh, Fox Two News, the website, uh, pixelated my the Muhammad drawing of mine with the dialogue, and they kept the support free speech on pixelated. <laughs> That's why I said Fox, Fox pixelates free speech. Yes. Anyway, so Pamela Geller again, just just, just work she's still out there kicking ass. And she's getting threatened uh, by uh, by ISIS and other and other Muslims to be beheaded. And a scum from ISIS just tweeted out her actual home address. I so
0: saw I saw that story. I, I I read that story. So yeah. um, if if people go to PamelaGeller.com, I think it's yeah. the second story from the top of her blog. That's what I read and some scumbag actually tweeted out her home address and they put the hashtag something like go forth this is supposed to be the thing where you're supposed to go after the person so you know the fact that she had five guys in boston after her apparently wasn't enough now they're trying to stir up other people to go try and and get her um yeah. that that woman is amazing just, now I'm, if you if you read yeah. that article if you read that article cuz i i read that article earlier further down in the article they talk about a very positive thing which is i don't remember the name of the man but there's someone in new hampshire who has vowed to sometime later in the year i don't remember when he's going to have a free speech event in new hampshire yeah. and even though it's yeah, dangerous yeah. and even though and even though he is not deterred he's going to go ahead and do it
3: yeah uh, you know, one last thing. Just, just uh, Pamela. You know, she's um, under pressure to really get to find out who people are, and especially under death threat when she still is continuing to do her work. Right. You know, it's it, it's really something else because the reason why people don't draw Mohammed and don't have these events is because of death threats, right? She gets right. death threats every single day. ISIS has explicitly, you know, uh, threatened her to behead right. her. She's, she's yep. still out there. So to her credit, it's just, it's pretty awesome. That's all. That's all I want. I want to say.
0: Um, people, people, first of all, well, one thing is people want to hear news about infidel three. How's that going?
3: It's, it's going well. I'm just coloring away. And, uh, again, uh, I, I mentioned last show, there's, um, someone interested in, uh, in, uh, supporting, uh, my work, Pigman to get them out there in a bigger way. And, uh, he's of a mind that he wants to release in September and you know, I'll, I'll be done before then. So I really want to get it out, but I'll see, I'll see how it goes. And there's a reason why there's, there's a little plan in place to get Pigman out there and to get some, uh, also I saw announced that to get some print copies. Of
0: the yeah. Infidel, so you'd actually, you could well. actually see the, the infidel in, um, in print yeah. just like, in just print, like a regular print print comic books. book almost like, like a, a real, real comic, comic book. book almost as if and, marvel and dc hadn't yeah. completely shut you out right right
3: yeah but you know what though when i print them i gonna put marvel comics on one side and dc comics on one. You know i mean on like a right. left side I mean, marvel comics and right side DC comics like as if they you know the movies.
0: the way the way no, that no, free speech that yeah there you go the way free speech is going in this country you better get those print copies out soon I, because i don't know I when know. they're gonna they're gonna start banning it so so You know the 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 new angle on the whole issue of free speech, freedom of expression this week was when Seinfeld came out with the comments about not being able to go to college campuses and put on shows there. Did you read about that?
3: I've read a little about it, but not much. But I I know one thing: the fact is, this it was his kind of power. He has to go there. He has to go there, and challenge it there, not in the media challenge it on, on campus if that's what he does if he still likes to do stand up you go there and you challenge it then and there. You know you don't you don't necessarily say, oh I can't go there because of that no. They have to be taught a lesson these kids. They have to be taught that you can laugh at these things and you should laugh at these things. Instead of him right. you, know, you know doing it on a soapbox away away from these venues. I mean I just if he's is still touring, if he's still doing stand up, go there. Isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth Definitely. It to teach these kids a lesson. Yeah, Definitely.
0: Please.
3: So I was love didn't, to see him go.
0: Now, didn't you? Didn't you tell me a story about Leno, along these lines?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Leno had some. Um, he had some punk uh, intern working at the, the Tonight Show, and uh, the guy was wanted to get some food for people, and he said, uh, "Hey, do you want uh, some food?" He goes, "Yeah." He goes, uh, "You want Mexican?" He goes, "Oh, I don't like Mexican." He goes, "Whoa, oh, that's racist."
0: wait so if because you if you don't like if you don't food. like mexican food then you are that's a racist right. mm. yeah
3: and that's what and, and, and the thing is this and he called them an idiot you know that's what you do with these people you don't just take it oh, oh they. you know we can't go there no you go there you call them idiots and you explain exactly why you don't just let them you know uh, remain you know protected in that in that terrible sense where you know like the what do you call them now the um the, the soft spaces, the safe places, right? Safe places?
0: Right. No, they have no, Free speech on, on, zones, right?
3: <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's unbelievable. But I just, I just wish Seinfeld, if he still tours, if that's his thing, if that's what he wants to do, he should go across country wide college tour, college campus tour and teach right. these kids lesson teach them that they have to laugh at certain things. They cannot be uptight about every little thing. It's embarrassing. And that's why now, I know it, 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 it goes from that to the point where you got this bruised gender out there now, and if you say anything, you are beyond the pill. You're an intolerant scumbag if you don't celebrate it. It's sad. It's a sad thing to see him do this. It's sad. Right. And, and the guy's troubled. And, you know, people are afraid to say that. But right.
0: Oh, no. Um, And I I have an article that uh, Debbie sent me about MSNBC had a panel where they basically skewered Seinfeld for his comments, his PC comments. And this one New York magazine writer, Annie Lowry, she says, uh, quote, I kind of roll my eyes at Jerry Seinfeld. You know, he's a billionaire. Like, I don't feel sorry for him if people don't laugh hard. No, wait. If people don't laugh hard enough at his jokes, end quote. So the whole idea is, well, you know, he's just saying that because he can't make them laugh. And he really just can't make them laugh because he's not that funny. But I don't feel bad for him because, after all, he's a billionaire. And being a billionaire is bad.
3: Very, very ugly. But, you know, what do you expect from those rats?
0: (sighs) Definitely. Definitely. So um, before we go, because I'm going to go ahead and grab another call here. Um, tell people what is the most challenging thing about being a black woman coming from being a, bl- a white man? What What's the biggest you know challenge? Hmm.
3: You know what it is? Because I'm white with red hair. I'm a white man with red hair. That's the biggest challenge. Because when I tell people I'm a, I'm a black woman now, they don't buy it no matter what I say.
0: Oh, you know, um, John. John here in the chat room is is correcting you. He says, "Is Bosch a black woman or an African American woman?" Oh, see, whoa. we're not speaking correctly. Whoa, whoa, whoa! That's right, man. You
3: know what,
0: so Bosh? you can't you you can't even do that right, Bosh. That's right. Okay. Well, um, have a good evening. Uh, stay safe as always. And I'm going to go ahead and and uh, grab Debbie. Talk to you soon. Um okay. I think I think this is Debbie. Is this right? Is this Debbie? Hi
4: Amy, yeah, it's Debbie.
0: Great. Thanks for calling. So, what do you think about Seinfeld can't even go to college campus and deliver a show? Do you think it's cuz he's just not funny anymore? He's kind of out of touch, you know, with today's generation? He's just too old? Or do you think there's really something going on here?
4: I think it's cuz he's rightfully rejecting this ridiculous politically correct environment, but just to clarify, um, I think, yeah, what his statement was, his statement was, I don't play colleges, but I hear a lot of people tell me, don't go near colleges, they're so confused, so I don't know that he was playing colleges before, he's so successful, as the MSNBC commentators were lamenting, that I don't know if most colleges could afford him. So um, he was kind of just talking about, it looks like, what other comedians had told him. For
0: instance,
4: Chris Rock, Rock, you know, that racist who hates black. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, He had made some comments about the politically correct culture, and those are linked to in the article that I sent you. Um, And... uh, so that's an example. I think he said something like, I don't have it in front of me right now, but he said something like, well, kids today are too afraid to, like if they're just pointing to some guy, that they want to identify across the room who happens to be black, they won't say, you know, refer to that black guy over there. They'll they'll say, uh, that guy with the red shoes. You, you know, they're afraid to even just say that observed someone has a particular race. Um, wow. And that was just black Comment. So, and Chris Rock, just in case anyone doesn't know, is himself a black guy. So, I don't think that he is um, a bigot like SyFy used to be.
0: Um, yeah, I've got so. I've got the link. I've got a link to the, the Chris Rock thing that you were talking about. It was actually over at Reason.com. and there's uh, it says Chris Rock stopped performing for students because everything offends them. Amazing. Yep,
4: it's it's true. Yeah, and by the way, Chris Rock is a really funny comedian, and I just I, I thought I would have thought that he'd be exempt um, because you know like Bosch Bosch has got this he's a, he's black and a woman right, so that gives him a special status. But Chris Chris Rock is halfway there. He's black, and so I would have thought that he would be exempted from the uh, the outcry, but apparently not. Um, although it's true that Seinfeld is the one who raised the uproar by relaying Chris Rock's comments. And I hadn't heard about it until Seinfeld repeated it. So maybe you right. little white guy get involved.
0: Now, in one, one, thing, um, one thing I like about this reason piece is they riff on all the different terminology that we must be aware of today in order to be really up with what's going on on the college campuses. They have trigger warnings Uh, speech Mm. codes, you know, uh, free speech zones and general feelings (laughs) protection. Right. So you you have to be up with all of this stuff. Now, I think I remember someone tweeting out, I think it was earlier today and it was a trigger warning. I'm going to say a whole bunch of offensive stuff and I don't care what the F you think about it or it was like (laughs) there's there's a trigger warning for you. Right. Um, People are really Really, I mean, I, it's great because between Seinfeld, you know, making that comment that, you know, really has been going around there out there, and then also Garland, I mean, we are continuing to have this ongoing dialogue about freedom of expression. Now, of course, on the one hand, you know, you've got violent jihadists really shutting down freedom of expression and people fighting them. But here on the campuses, It's not like they're going to kill you, but basically your fellow students are going to completely ostracize and reject you if you don't kowtow to all of the different conventions that they have surrounding so-called offensive speech or politically incorrect speech. You know, um, I was talking to you before, Debbie, about that term politically correct, do you remember? Um, And you had said it's really not, it's not a good term because it doesn't convey the malevolence of what's really going on. And I was thinking since we chatted, it was earlier today about that, that term, um, that if you think of politically correct and you actually bring in like the full meaning of politics, and then you think of government, which is really the realm of politics. And then you think of force, then maybe you start to get an idea of the malevolence, right? Um, Because people, you know, people talk about like so-called economic power, you know, and uh, everything else. They try to bring that in. So if they're bringing in, you know, it's political correctness. If it's really actually political, if you're, but they're, you know, if they're just trying to kind of smuggle in the idea of political, I don't know. Anyway, that might give a little bit better sense of it.
4: I think that's actually the origin of the term that it's language that is tailored to be directly in line with someone's new the new left political agenda I think I think that might actually be where the term comes from so right um,
0: right definitely
4: so and then uh, so I wanted to share my story about a a acquaintance of mine who had an experience on a college campus Um, a professor um, in in actually the hard Hard disciplines, not a not a humanities professor at an mm-hmm. elite university, <laughs> and um, so he was uh, he was talking about biochemistry and kind of went on a digression as he likes to do because he was an amazing teacher about um, how the metabolic rate of an animal will tend to scale with its size because there's a relationship between like a thermodynamic equilibrium between the surface uh, surface area to volume ratio and, and the amount of energy that
0: the animal needs to generate and so on. So, you know, not to go Okay, okay, the so, wait, question, so wait, so wait. So so basically what Debbie just said really fast is the science <laughs> behind why big animals like elephants would have a different metabolic rate than a little animal like a mouse. And you said it's the surface area to volume ratio, Right. So the ratio right. between Let's the surface area about. and the volume. Okay.
4: Yeah. like I had, to, I had to slow you down. I'm sorry. <laughs> how, oh, yeah. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Um, the littler animals, they have a bigger surface area to a volume ratio because they're small. And so they have to generate, they lose a lot more heat to the environment, for instance. So in order to keep their body warm, their metabolism has to work harder. So like a little chihuahua is... Um, have a much faster, a little animal like a squirrel maybe or a hummingbird or whatever, they have a faster metabolism than a really large animal like a cow who can eat grass all day and stay huge because um, they have a really slow metabolic rate. So anyway, um, yeah, I didn't mean to give everybody a science lesson. My point is Hey, it's that good. I mean, we, we then, should
0: learn these things. We should learn these things. If we didn't learn them going through school, we can learn them now.
4: Um, so anyway, apparently chihuahuas don't quite fit onto the curve. They're I, I can't remember if it's, I think it's that their metabolism is higher than you would expect based on their size. They don't quite fit in with the trend. And so he just kind of tossed off as an aside. Yeah. So I think that chihuahuas are maybe kind of an evolutionary dead end because they don't fit in line with this, with this pattern. And what I, what I'm thinking is, what I, what I
0: was thinking is that it would be slower than you would expect because they're tiny.
4: Maybe, but chihuahuas are so, like, energetic and yiffy, and I don't know if you've ever seen one, but they're just, like, trembling with energy when you see one in person. So it might be that. but you you might be right. I don't know which side of the curve they fell off.
0: So so the idea would be That's that, a, that the, the, the metabolic rate is so fast that it's, like, basically not practical because in nature yeah. they could never get enough food to survive or something like that, right? Maybe,
4: maybe. Maybe. Um, But but the real point here isn't that um, the point is that there was a student in the class who was from Mexico, and her family breeds chihuahuas, and apparently she saw this as an attack on her cultural identity. So she made a complaint to the dean about this professor, (laughs) and he was reprimanded for not being sensitive to the cultural identity. Apparently, you're sort of implicitly, by uh, several connections away, you're being racist against the Mexicans if you say anything disparaging or um, ominous, make an ominous prediction about the, the future of your world. <laughs>
0: yeah, Oh my so gosh. That's where no, but we're, see, now, just... Now, this is the thing, just a minute ago, right, we were talking about the science, you know, why is it, you know, that chihuahuas didn't fit the pattern, how they didn't fit, right? But that is really what it should have been about. That's the interesting point, right? But what the girl made it about is about the link of chihuahuas to the Mexican culture and what you must be. So in both cases, the Leno story and the chihuahua story, it's racism against Mexicans. If you either make an observation about the scientific properties of chihuahuas, or if you just decide you don't like Mexican food for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. you are a racist and insensitive, right?
4: It's a good thing he didn't say anything negative about camels, because I know the Muslim community (laughs) wouldn't like that too much.
0: Oh, my gosh. No. I mean, so these, day, these days it could get you a fatwa or something. Right. <sighs> so, Right.
4: Uh, but, you know, um, this, it, it, it's not – I don't know if these people actually are offended or if it isn't some kind of just a sadistic desire to wield power over someone. Um, Peggy Noonan wrote an article a couple of weeks ago about the quote-unquote trigger-happy generation, and she hits on this a little bit. And she says um, kind of just that they're wielding this quote-unquote victimhood in a ferocious manner, and they're beating people down with it. And she says, "Um, if you were so vulnerable, intimidated, and weak, you wouldn't really be able to attack and criticize your professors, administrators, and fellow students so ably and successfully, would you? Are you a bunch of frail and sensitive little bullies? Right. you're not intimidated, but intimidators. And um, I think that there's a lot of truth to that, because I just don't see how someone can actually be offended by something like that chihuahua.
0: No. No, not at all. I don't even see that at all. And I mean, I think like the, you know, the woman who was on the plane and she didn't get her diet Coke or whatever Coke in a full can that wasn't open or whatever it was. Uh, she was just ready to leap at whatever it was to try to get her, you know, two seconds of fame or whatever. And plus try to make somebody else, you know, somebody else's life difficult. Um And it seems like she succeeded to some extent. So
4: if you're a victim, if you can call yourself a victim in the the society, um, in the culture that we currently live in, then you have the power to destroy someone in some cases.
0: Right. Right. Well, thanks, Debbie, for sharing that story as kind of depressing as it is. Um, but you think it is. This is, this is definitely, you know, Chris Rock, Chris Rock and other comedians are not exaggerating about the extent to which on campus students really cannot take jokes of any kind, can't even, you know, hear any criticism of any entity that has to do with any culture of any kind.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's true in a sense, but I think that really what it is is that campuses are a hostile environment where anyone who exhibits any joy or humor uh, or any kind of a healthy presence projects a kind of a healthy sense of life is, is um, liable to be
0: attacked. Yeah, so if, if you guys didn't hear so well, because she's cutting out a little bit, she said that in, on campus right now, anybody who projects a healthy sense of life is, is liable to be attacked. And that brought in my mind um, John Allison who was the former CEO of bb and and he had also been the head of Cato for some time. He came and gave a talk at Southwestern Law School in Los Angeles. And I really enjoyed watching John Allison. If you've seen him speak, he just conveys that healthy, self-confidence, benevolent sense of life. He's very accomplished, very nice person. And he's talking to all of these students essentially about the philosophy of success, which has been, you know, in his most recent book. And just, you know, to, for them to see somebody, I mean, they're in law school, right? So they've already been through undergraduate and all through the, whatever the brainwashing and stuff. So the ability to significantly change their minds is diminished, right? Because they're older graduate students. But still... Here they are, they're students, they're still ambitious, they're pushing forward to get into the entry level jobs of their career, which is in law. And they're looking at somebody who is this accomplished person with a healthy sense of life, able to communicate the ideas behind the success effectively. He, of course, you know, does not apologize for his success. And at the same time, you know, he's not you know taking credit for anything he didn't do himself and you know he's got a healthy sense of being able to you know laugh at things that he had done in the past like he chose his business major because it was at b and he was outside in the hot sun or whatever and they were listing all the different majors he couldn't get engineering i think at uh, north carolina so you know funny stories like that so he'll he'll tell you those stories and at the same time of course he will you know, tell you about his accomplishments and, and what got him there. And that was just I think such a good thing for them to see and such a rare sight, you know, to see somebody who has exactly the right healthy level of self esteem and of course all the benevolence that goes along with it. It was it was great. Well
4: that's good. So they were they were not they were retested?
0: I, I mean I think some of them were receptive some of I, I assume some of them were surprised uh, Some of them of course came up and asked very pointed and and not very sympathetic questions afterwards which is something you would expect as well um, but I, I just think it's good for students to be exposed like you said to that and and you know the way college campuses are going today all of the people with a healthy, you know, self-esteem and intellectual curiosity and sense of life and, you know, open-minded in the sense of, you know, you know that you're at this stage in university where you're still learning and you need to actually explore ideas and not, you know, decide that you're going to be offended at every little thing that doesn't go with your preconceived notions, you know, when you came onto campus. Um, Those students, are they going to even go to college anymore? And so, you know, all they're going to do when, you know, when you go to college is just going to be a whole bunch of people who go around talking about trigger warnings and speech codes and free speech zones and general feelings protection. And nobody who wants to actually challenge them is actually going to go. They're going to go to, you know, programmers boot camp or whatever the equivalent is in other fields. Right.
4: Well, I hope they still do go. I hope they're not chased away because the people who need to be chased off those campuses are the anti-intellectual who are waging a war on ideas and trying to shut everyone down by bullying them and intimidating them.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, I hope that if they do need to go to college in order to get involved in whatever career you know, makes them passionate, then they still do go. And there are always going to, I think there's always going to be options. I mean, you know, Hillsdale College and the humanities still exists. Um, And of course there are a number of places where if you go into the more technical and scientific fields that the climate is, uh, is quite a bit better. So that's nice too. But um, it is, it's, it's definitely, you know, different from when I was going to college and um sounds like it might be different from when you were going as well. So thanks, Debbie,
4: for.
0: That that long ago. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it wasn't all that long ago. Not not for you anyway. Um, thanks, Debbie, for calling in and uh, and sharing that story. Any Anything else before we go here? Um, did you hear, by the way, about Rachel Dolezal? Is that how you pronounce her name? I don't
4: know. I didn't hear about it.
0: Okay, so she is, I believe, up in Washington State, or is it in Oregon, in the Northeast? She has a leadership position. She's like a president of a chapter of the NAACP. Okay, Uh and it turns out that she has been exposed as someone who has been pretending to be black since at least two, since at least two thousand (laughs) seven. Since 2007, she has kind of, you know, put on darker makeup and done her hair in certain ways and stuff to basically pretend she was black. And she got caught about this. I guess some investigative journalist discovered it. And then she was confronted with it on camera. I actually saw the clip and everything. Pretty embarrassing for her. Um, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. But if you, if you think about, you know, Caitlyn Jenner, if you want to call Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner, you know, you go according to your, your preference, but as much as you'd say, okay, Caitlyn Jenner is a media hound and wants all this attention and everything else, at least Caitlyn Jenner is honest, right? Um, This woman has, you know, apparently been deceiving people lied on at least one application for a position where, you know, the race that you were actually made a difference. Um, it, it's interesting because now, you know, the NAACP, they should be horrified that this person lied to them, right? But instead, politics seems to trump honesty for these people because they came out and they said, well, you know, we accept uh, people of all races, essentially, who push for our agenda. I mean, they didn't say exactly that, but that's in, in essence what they said. And then some other people are trying to, you know, almost put excuses into her mouth like maybe she was a black woman trapped in a white woman's body or whatever it was, you know. So they're trying to make a Jenner-esque type of story for her. But, you know, again, I mean, if the NAACP really doesn't care what race you are as long as you promote their agenda and you can still be in leadership positions, why did she just come in and say Hey, I'm white, but I really like to look sort of black and, you know, but instead she was dishonest to everybody. So she obviously thought, you know, she needed to do that to supposedly get what she wanted. Um, I would not want to be her at this moment. Um, you know, the, the apparently part of her background is uh, Czech. Like her family, I guess they said that they've got a little bit of um, Native American, but they have mostly... I think it was Czech and Scottish and something else, you know, like German, maybe, um, but primarily Czech. So, um, you know, uh, Iowa Hawk on Twitter.
4: No, I don't know that person.
0: So Iowa Hawk on Twitter, Dave Burge, I think is is his uh, actual name. Anyway, he puts mm-hmm. out there, he puts out there, check your privilege, C-Z-E-C-H. <laughs> which is exactly perfect. Um, But I was thinking about that, you know, because of his tweet. And I was thinking, okay, well, all of her life, you know, young life growing up, she was white in a white family. So she was living the privileged life. And then when she grew up, she pretended to be black. So she was getting some of the perks that were preserved only for people who had been underprivileged when they were growing up. So she got all the privileges growing up and then she got all the privileges of saying that she had been underprivileged, which sounds like she's gotten the double privileges and we should be very upset with her.
4: Well, uh, I guess she, she's a dishonest black woman trapped in a white woman's body.
0: <laughs> right.
4: That's her self-identity. She's a lying black woman trapped in a white woman's body.
0: Oh, apparently there's a, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a meme out there also of Donald Sutherland yelling, check your privilege. Oh my gosh. Oh, and then, yeah, the other thing is I I did see this too pig fan over here in the chat room is reminding me uh, she tried passing off her adopted black brother as her son and then some random black guy as her father. And I think when she was confronted, when she was confronted about her race on camera, I think they first came up with the picture of her and the guy that she was saying was her father, this black uh, older gentleman. And he was saying, Oh, is that your father? And she said, yeah, you know, and then he came in and asked me like, is your father white? Are you African American? And, She pretended she didn't understand what he was asking. And then when she really got the drift of what was going on, she just walked off completely. So I don't know what she's going to come out with. I'm sure they're going to have like some big, you know, Oh, I'm sorry interview. And it's going to be big primetime TV and everyone's going to be watching it. And who knows what sort of politics is going to take place while all of us are distracted with the tell, you know, the tell all interview, of this woman, but that's what we have to look forward to in the next few days.
4: Well, I'm not planning on being distracted by it. I mean, it just sounds to me like it's a person who's mentally ill in some way. I mean, I don't want to psychologize, but that just sounds either, it just sounds like someone who's literally just kind of a crazy person. And uh, I don't, uh, hopefully, hopefully it won't be too much of a distraction from important things.
0: No, exactly. I mean, you know, who knows how something like that starts or or evolves. Uh, She did go to a university that was traditionally for black students. Um, She did not say on her application that she was black. And I guess they were surprised when she showed up and she was not. Um, But I think that's kind of where it started. And I guess she just identified Um, throughout her parents also adopted, you know, again, some black kids, but it turned out that um, one of them ended up leaving to come live with her. And then she was saying, instead of it, it, this is her brother. She said it was her son. So she's been lying all over place about a lot of stuff. And uh, it's a sad thing. Um, You want to hear a little bit of good news before I let you go? Yeah. So remember our friend Rick Santorum?
4: Our friend,
0: yeah <laughs> yeah from from the last elections the uh, the 2012 and we got to watch him in all the debates and let him basically you know reveal his big government side. Um, but what so he did is he yeah no, I don't I mean he's got his uh, social conservative so-called big government side, but apparently he went to Iowa. To start off, you know, some of the campaign stuff and had only one person show up at a campaign event, one registered Mm -hmm. voter. And even that person wouldn't commit to voting for Santorum.
4: (laughs) Was it one of his family members?
0: Yeah, that's what you would think, right? No, it was actually somebody in the Republican uh, kind of, you know, establishment, though. So that person felt sort of responsible to be there. They were like part of the Republican. In Ohio. Anyway, I've got only a minute left. I can't believe this. it's almost 930. So, um, Debbie, thanks very much for calling in. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Everyone here in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio, thank you for hanging out and chiming in. I hope it's been uh, an informative and at least somewhat entertaining show for you guys this evening. And I will talk to you next week. Again, that's 11 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Pacific on Fridays live here at Blog Talk Radio. Have a good night, everyone, and take care.